Welcome to the War Elephant Podcast, Editor's Pick, Episode 8. We have our regular co-host, Christine, here. Hi. And we have our returning co-host, Walter. Welcome back, Walter. Thanks for so, having me again. Of course. Uh, we had a great time with you last time, and so hopefully we'll have another good time today. We've got four topics to talk about, if you can see our show notes that we posted in the episode description. And we'll get started with the 31st anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. So uh, we've linked a really great podcast by conservative uh, commentator and pundit Bill Whittle in the show notes. I definitely recommend checking that out. It gives a huge amount of insight. But the fall of the Berlin Wall really marked the fall of one of the most destructive and bloody empires the world has known. Unfortunately, not the only one at the time or even now, but it was a movement towards freedom and less slaughter. And um, I think these images that I'm sharing here capture just the joy that was so prevalent after almost 30 or 40 years of being imprisoned in their own city, the East and West Berliners really came together and it's very inspiring and I'm glad we're remembering it. Yeah, you could get and did get killed for trying to cross that wall. Um, I remember when this happened and I remember watching it on television and it was exciting. It was a big death knell to communism actually. Well, Communism in the Soviet sense. The, uh, yes. the other empire I was talking about was China, and that unfortunately still remains today. Oh, absolutely. Um, so in slight, uh, that, that was a celebratory thing, but also sobering to remember the tens of millions of people that the Soviet um, Union killed and mm -hmm. imprisoned Indeed. and disappeared for political reasons. Um, and we should always remember, because as the cliche goes, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And, and I would recommend there's a great book you should read if you haven't, The Gulag Archipelago yeah, by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Yes. Yeah. I who, stumbled on it in college, Ian. I had no it? idea what I was going to read. It was just a really big book with a strange name. So I picked it up and started reading it. And he oh, wrote that while he was in the gulag and not really allowed to write. So he held the book in his mind until he got free and, and wrote it. And he's warned us. He spent the, the rest of his life warning the United States and the Western world to fight against that tyranny. And we would do well to heed his warning. Indeed. Um, we have... A exciting announcement that Pfizer, one of the big pharmaceutical companies in the United States, has um, announced a 90% effective trial vaccine, which is fantastic news. This is based on preliminary results. So, well, it is quite exciting. Um, it is just preliminary results. We won't know actually until about the third week of November whether this will be going forth for production but it's based on 43,000 enrolled patients and they are on track to produce 50 million doses of vaccines yet this year and up to 1.3 billion doses in 2021 for distribution worldwide. Um, uh, it is, go ahead. 
And the Trump administration has been working with the code named Operation Warp Speed mm -hmm. to really plan out distribution of this vaccine. So I think that is really good news that we're on track to produce a huge number of vaccines and get it out because both of those pieces are just so important to beating COVID. That's right. Oh, for sure. And Operation Pfizer is- Warp Speed. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Pfizer is one of the pharmaceutical giants. Um, it is headquartered here in the United States in New York City. It was founded in 1849 in Brooklyn, New York. And they do a lot of the research, but Operation Warp Speed cut ahead a lot of the red tape that was has really slowed down vaccine research. Historically, it's taken about 20 years to develop a vaccine. Yeah, and I was in the trials for the chickenpox vaccine in the 90s, and those went on for years and years. Yeah. So the fact that they were able to get this out is really a testament to government and the companies and all these people working together to, to save as many people as possible. And I applaud everyone I, involved. I believe the record right now is seven years. And so this is going to be an incredible feat. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely monumental, especially with the um, bringing together of the military complex with private industry to speed this ahead forward and to bring in the military's large, really vast logistics system for distribution. I know that of the $10 billion that Congress has authorized for Operation Warp Speed and this cooperation with the private companies to get this vaccine developed and released, a solid $3 billion of them are directly um, earmarked for the logistics and transportation cores and systems to get this distributed as effectively and quickly as possible. This this is one of those moments that makes me extremely proud of my chosen profession, even though I haven't participated in any of this research. It makes me extremely proud of being a chemist. As you should be. <laughs> um, so we're just blazing through these preliminary topics because our last one's a doozy. Uh, the next one is um, Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, is rumored to be on the short list for secretary of the veteran affairs association or organization um he is a veteran which is one of the reasons why he's been picked he's also extremely intelligent unfortunately i think he's used both his intelligence and his position to really foster division he, he spends a lot of time lecturing those who disagree with him which to be fair everyone does like to say that you're right and they're wrong but I worry about his appointment. Well, as, as VA secretary, I'm not sure how much time lecturing people he's going to actually get. That's a quite an administrative burden and not usually the most forward facing one. It would be a surprising position for the Biden administration to put him in because I don't know that he has all that much administration uh, experience. I, I believe my reaction was surprised. Uh, I rolled my eyes <laughs> because oh. the uh, VA secretary needs to be a quite talented administrator, but certainly he at least empathizes with veterans. So he does have that going for him. Oh, absolutely. 
um, even when the Veterans Administration was founded back in 1923 with the first, well, the predecessor role to the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Um, the first holder of that office was uh, Frank Hines. He was a Brigadier General in the Spanish-American War and World War One, And we've had a long tradition of having our veterans be in charge of the Veterans Affairs um, Department. And I think that that's a really important quality and a really important trait to have veterans overseeing the Veterans Affairs and having that connection and empathy that you mentioned, Christine. But I still don't think that it should be necessarily the only requirement. I think this will be a, um, a good challenge for Mayor Buttigieg to see how he can rise up to the administrative roles that he has not yet had the opportunity to fulfill. Our current um, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Robert Willicke, is currently a um, colonel in the U.S. Air Force Reserve, and before he was the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, he had a lot of administrative experience in the Defense Department as an Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, as well as an Assistant Secretary of Defense for Legislative Affairs. So if he's selected and confirmed, good for him. I hope he does the job to the best of his ability. And I hope that he can help the veterans in the best way that, or that he does help the veterans in the best way that he can in that role. Yeah, and I, and I hope he works for the veterans and not for the administration. Um, I've had enough interaction with the VA to know that your experience with the VA as a veteran goes very much on facility by facility, depending who's running it. And it needs a great deal of reform. And I really hope if he is the person, he has the heart for it, but I don't know that he has any track record we can base that on. But it's all up in the air right now. We really have no, no real basis but speculation right now. I've seen Tammy Duckworth's name thrown out there as well. Well, whoever gets the VA pick, I wish them well, because as someone who's worked with VA um, in my job, it's very difficult and it's not, I think, serving the veterans terribly well currently. So whoever gets it, I really hope that they're able to reform it in a way that really helps those who, you know, have served our country and deserve the respect and support that we're promised. So our last topic, and the one I expect to take the most amount of time, is going to be the Trump Accountability Project. So this is something that people have been talking about for at least a year, probably several, because everyone knew that President Trump would be um, out of office at some point, whether it was this year or in 2024. Well, right. That's built into our entire system, right? Nobody right. is president forever. FDR notwithstanding. <laughs> um, and, and we made sure that wasn't going to happen again. We shouldn't let it happen the first time. But um, 
there were some articles that we were linked in our show notes. Um, let's see, from 2019 that talked about holding voters accountable for their choices. Um, and of course, the I would consider him a nut, but he's incredibly influential. Keith Olbermann, uh, a few months ago, was claiming that people who support um, President Trump should be removed from society. These are the kinds of things that Christine has been talking, and I completely agree with her, um, that started things like the Rwandan genocides, mm -hmm. referring to your opponents as cockroaches, referring to them as people who have to be removed or exterminated. Um, the phrase held accountable feels extremely threatening. threatening? It, it, just, <laughs> it just does not feel like actual accountability. Actual accountability to me uh, has to do with people you want to succeed and you want to hold them accountable so they succeed. I do not get the sense that anyone who is saying, and I'm going to highlight one particular person, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, wants to hold people accountable so that they succeed. I, I think that the clear implication, now some people disagree with me, but I think the clear implication is that they want the accountability to mean unemployment, ostracization, and given how the last six or seven months have gone since the, um, the tragic killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, possibly even violence against them um, based on the way they've treated um, brave reporters like Andy No and, and other people who have stood up against mm -hmm. the prevailing narrative mm -hmm. that people who are protesting or writing, um, which are different things, have, have said. Well, and Jennifer Rubin, you know, from the Washington Post, their former conservative writer came out and said, any Republican now promoting rejection of an election or calling to not follow the will of the voters or making baseless allegations of fraud should never serve an office, join a corporate board, find a faculty position, or be accepted into polite society. We have a list. Now, she doesn't just mean rejecting will of voters. She's saying that anybody who says, let's make sure all the votes were properly counted should lose their jobs. And that's going far beyond, um, far beyond anything that's been said for a long time. Because that looks like a, anyone calling for transparency is being threatened now. Yeah, and I think that this is really being taken way too far. And the perception of something being even an inch off of the mark is being perceived as if it's a mile away. Um, obviously, there are going to be recounts and there are going to be challenges, um, probably by both sides depending on what the arguments are made and brought up in courts of law. Well, have Anything we forgotten that's... 2000 and, well, 2000? <laughs> Certainly not, I hope. Um, I, I, and the problem with this specific tweet and the uh, accountability project as a whole, I think, is that it's really warping and twisting the facts here in the narrative. Um, completely rejecting the election in terms of say, crowning himself king 
for absolutely committing treason against the United States should absolutely be a disqualification for being president again. And I think that it is under the 15th Amendment. Don't quote me on that. Um, and of course, going back to the accountability project as a whole, um, we do need to hold our leaders accountable and have the records of their actions for history's sake. Of course, you have the presidential libraries, which contain all of the writings, all the unclassified writings and documents and speeches of the president since, I believe, Reagan. And they're open and accessible to the public. I feel like that's the type of accountability that should be held and is a really good thing to have, but not in the terms of making this, um, making these watch lists and shunning these specific groups of people, putting this um, proverbial golden star on their clothing. Well, what they seem to be doing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they actually seem to be working towards a Nuremberg trials type of activity towards the administration and branding anybody who voted for Trump equivalent to anyone who joined the Nazi party. This is the attitude that I'm, I'm getting from this. And it is highly coercive. And I use that in the sense that Friedrich Hayek wrote in the Constitution of Liberty. Um, he wrote that by coercion, we mean such control of the environment or circumstances of a person by another that in order to avoid greater evil, he is forced to act not according to a coherent plan of his own, but to serve the ends of another. Coercion is evil precisely because it eliminates an individual as a thinking and valuing person and makes him a bare tool in the achievement of the ends of another. And then he went on and explained that free society has met the problem of avoiding coercion uh, and and because uh, you can't avoid it. Somebody's always able to coerce someone else by conferring the monopoly of coercion on the state. And by attempting to limit this power of the state to instances where it's required to prevent coercion by private persons. Now, what we have here are private persons attempting to coerce others and then attempting to create a situation where the government will be forced to enforce that coercion. See, they want to, they want to create a situation where society makes it impossible for people to participate in the political process. And that is ultimately a death of freedom. There's a lot of talk from the left about voter suppression, although I think not coincidentally, most of that disappeared once their favorite candidate won. Imagine that. Um, with record turnout for both sides, I'd like to point out. Um, and one thing I would like to celebrate is that um, President Trump's uh, voters were not a monolith. They were very diverse, much more diverse than the last 60 years of Republican candidates. And I think that's a real cause for celebration. But there's a real sense that 
what's been referred to as a chilling effect on free speech or the shy Trump voter effect. Uh, the idea that you know that it's socially unacceptable to say that you support President Trump or conservative policies. And so you just don't talk about it. So no one knows that you are a conservative or that you vote for President Trump. And that to me is, it should be unacceptable if, as I believe, President Trump does not stand for the kind of fascism and bigotry that the people who are trying to suppress his voters claim that he does. Now, of course, it is it is true that President Trump does stand for things that I don't stand for. But I would argue that all political candidates stand for things that I don't stand for. And while I do often deplore some of President Trump's behavior, I don't think that the behavior rises to the level that means supporting him should be completely unacceptable for a normal person, especially since 70 million people voted for him. That's a lot of people that they're going to castigate. And I, I'm not sure they thought this through. I mean, their ticket supports generous public welfare, right? So they're talking about making it so nobody who voted for Trump is employable, but they want public welfare. Do they really want all of the Trump voters unemployed and on welfare? Have they thought this through? No. Um, I know that there's going to be another big issue when you get into talking about the medical field and how we have already such a large shortage of physicians and nurses and healthcare providers, and a, and, and a very large percentage of people in those essential pr professions do tend to vote Republican. Um, I read a statistic once where it's well over half of all neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and other procedure-heavy medical specialties are more likely to be Republican and to vote Republican than Democrat. So, I mean, I don't want to castigate anyone because if I need a brain surgery, I need it. I, I honestly worry this is actually um, a power play in order to prevent. I mean, the, the first question is, why would you give someone government this much power? Because when your adversaries get power, then they can use it against you. But I think the belief is they'll never lose power this way. And I think that this is a problem in all of our politics, both Republican and Democrat, that there's this sense that you have to maintain power and that you can't do anything if your party is not completely in control. And that once you're in control, your goal should not be to govern as well as possible, but instead to work to maintain the power at all costs, to, to destroy any chance that your opponent can ever be in power again. Whereas I think that we should always govern with the idea that the other party will naturally be in charge, whether it's after one election or two elections or even three elections. We've never had, since FDR, the aforementioned person who I am not fond of, we have never had someone win whose party has been in power more than three cycles. 
has just never happened. And I think that is good, even though I don't like what President Clinton or President Obama did. I think it was good that the Republicans weren't in power those terms. Um, there needs to be a reset. There needs to be an understanding that half the country really does have different priorities and those people need to feel heard. We need to live together and listen to each other. And the thing about the Trump accountability project is that it's very much not listening. It is vengeance. It is destruction. And it's everything I, I really reject about the current um, people who drive a lot of left policy. And I'll say, when conservatives are in full power, there is a similar tendency. Um, if you look at the early um, culture after 9-11, uh, when Republicans had a huge ground cell of ground cell of support, there was a lot of you know shaming of people who didn't fully support things like the Patriot Act, which I think most people now would agree was and is a disturbing project. Mm -hmm. And it was extended by President Obama. So it wasn't uh, simply a Republican problem, but Republicans definitely used shaming tactics against people who oppose the Patriot Act. Well, it's called the Patriot Act. How dare you oppose being patriotic, especially now? So I, I don't want to act like cancel culture or um, this kind of shaming tactic is unique to the Democrats, but I do think that they are the ones who are using it to most harm right now. And I want to speak out against it uh, as I see the problem most uh, troublingly evident in society today. I was encouraged today, a friend of mine who is definitely not sharing my politics put out a call for people to put aside all of the drama all of the rancor he said it pains him deeply to know that so many friendships have been broken up over politics and he said people need to reach out and see each other as people and that it's not doing us any good. And it made my heart quite warm. And I agreed with him. And that is the opposite of what these accountability things that are going after. Actually, they're going after door knockers on this Trump accountability project. You know, people who signed up and and we're handing out flyers and trying to get people to register to vote. I mean, my goodness, you, you just, you're trying to turn getting people to register to vote into a crime because the person wore a red shirt. Think about that. That is appalling. That is an attack on our entire democratic process. And so we need more people like my friend, uh, people like the Braver Angels organization, which we should probably link in our show notes. I didn't think about it. Who want to do what they can to reach out to each other and reject this kind of uh, tyranny that will absolutely destroy our freedom and our communities. 
And I think you were right, Ian, about the silent Trump voters. And I think they're with this kind of stuff going around, there's going to wind up being more silence. And and when Joe Biden called for peace, I mean called for unity, and he said that he'll be a president to all the American people. I listened to that and I said, I hope that's true. I really do. I wish him well and I hope with my whole heart that that is true. And I believe he's telling the truth as he sees it. I just hope the rest of the country can embrace that and that it's a true unity, not a, we're going to shut you up if you don't agree with us sort of unity because that's not unity at all. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up our thoughts. I want to thank Walter and Christine for joining me. We talked about a lot of things. If you guys have any thoughts about these things, feel free to write comments. Um, join our Discord. We've got that linked in the show notes. We have a great conversation going at all times, open to liberals and conservatives, as long as you follow the three R's of the war elephant, researched, respectful, and... Relaxed. Um, relaxed. <laughs> Um, we also have the core community, uh, which is really our home base right now. We're working on providing uh, more bases, but right now we mostly post our material there. And that's where we have a really great um, amount of content that's really devoted to similar types of conversations and commentary that we try and have on this podcast. And we have some great writers mm -hmm. on, on yeah. World and they put out really insightful writing. And so if you're interested in thoughtful pieces, that is where to find us. Yep, warelephant.cora.com. All right, so thank you for watching. Uh, like, Christine. subscribe, share oh. with your friends. <laughs> Indeed, please do. Um, and join our Discord, all the links, all the clicking, all the thumbs up. I hope that you have a great week. I'm glad that we made it through election week in one piece. I thank everyone, all 150 people, 50 million people who voted. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you next week. And thank you for joining us, Walter. Thank you again.